It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. My name is Natalie Bucknell and I'm delighted to again today be joined in the studio with my co-hosts, Michael Steindl. G'day Nat and Kay, g'day listeners. And Kay Winnegal. G'day Nat, g'day listeners. It's a bit cooler here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we were surprised to see that it's been nearly a year since we had Bryce Gatton on the program. So it was definitely time to get him back into the studio to talk electric vehicles Bryce is the National Newsletter Editor for the Australian Electric Vehicle Association and also regularly writes on EV topics for the Driven and Renew Economy websites, Renew Magazine, and plus he presents EV issues and opportunities to community groups, government and industry. So welcome along. Hi Bryce, how are you? Hello Nat, how are you going? Thank, welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me today. Thanks for coming. I'm surprised you've got found the time with all the things you do and get involved in. It keeps me busy, shall we say. <laughs> Absolutely. So BZE recently released their 10 gigawatt vision for the Northern Territory and electrification of transport and machinery form part of the strategy for reducing emissions and reducing costs. So this is the perfect time to talk to you about the latest in electrification. So what's coming up in that field? Uh, there's an enormous amount coming up in electrification of all sorts of um, transport. So the vehicle area is just one that everyone hears about, but there's stuff about electric aircraft, electric machinery, um, mining Oops. equipment is in particular something that will be very much driven by electrification because it's a, a lot cheaper, a lot lower maintenance, and it's much easier to automate. So you know, mining will become far less um, costly, although it will also lose a lot of jobs as well, sadly. But um, then you're looking at ferries, you're looking, as I said, about aircraft. Um, even Aussie Post are buying a whole lot of electric three-wheel tricycle-type things in order to, to move our parcels around now. Oh, do you mean the posty bike is going to become a thing of the past? It'll turn into a three-wheel tricycle. It looks like sort of a, um, a big yellow and red thing heading towards you. I'm not quite sure what, what you do when you see it coming because it would be a bit terrifying from the pictures I've seen. But they've <laughs> just placed an order for about 1,000 of them. Okay, from so th- Sweden, I believe. Uh, I think so, yes. I'm not quite sure where they come from. So this is, this is no longer in the realm of speculation. These are changes that are, are in motion now. Yes, and then you've got the autonomous vehicle move as well. So we have the AIMES Ames project at Melbourne University, which is a connected grid within the city and testing out all the systems that may be needed in order to have a connected, automated, autonomous um, community system, community transport been? system in Melbourne itself through oh. Melbourne University. Exciting. Mm. And, of course, autonomous vehicles in the mining industry is something that would reap benefits in terms of productivity. 
Yes, although there is a limit to productivity and not having jobs in order to have money to buy the things that they pull out of the ground, but that, that's a whole other story. And yeah. it's not something they focus on. No, it's not something. They, they focus on their productivity and improving the, the bottom line. Um, one does sometimes wonder how much the bottom line gives a loss of jobs. But anyway, that, that's a, a whole other area to it's talk about. It's got to fit the total economic picture, doesn't mm. it? So we're going to pick up on some of those topics in future shows because each of those things that you've mentioned really deserve a lot of discussion. Mm. So for now, let's move on to the engrossing world of electric driving in passenger vehicles. So what's the latest developments internationally and domestically with EVs? That's a huge open question. It's just there's so many more cars coming to the market from the mass manufacturers now. So you look at VW, who have, as their mere culpa for the Dieselgate scandal, have basically switched over to research and development in electric cars. And it was a very interesting video done by Fully Charged. Recently they drove four prototype VW electric cars um, that were very nice-looking cars, very interesting. They weren't full production prototypes. They were actually a cross between a um, display model that they use as a show car at a thing and a at a auto show and a um, actual pre-production car, but they could actually be driven and were driving them around. Um, and they were quite amazing looking and interesting vehicles to drive with good range, you know, looking at four to 600 sort of K range. One of them is basically a reproduction VW Combi which is called the ID Buzz. So it's the ID series that VW are building. So that's just four there. That was that ID series. Have a look at them on the web. Um, you have Tesla themselves, which have just announced the Model Y in March, which is a um, SUV crossover type vehicle based on the Model 3, just like the Model X is based on the, the Model S. You have the, um, just trying to think of all the other ones, there's the Renault Zoe is actually a new model coming out early next year. Um, so people are interested in that one. They're actually increasing the battery size from 42 to 53, I think, kilowatt hours. Um, they'll be putting DC fast charging in it and a number of cosmetic changes and things. So it look much the same as the existing one, but it will be a much better upgrade. So are there any of the mass manufacturers who aren't, who don't have prototypes, at least in the in development for EVs? Uh, there's a number of the smaller manufacturers that are slow to market yet. So you look at Subaru, uh, they're not doing a great deal at the moment. They're talking about an alliance with some of the other manufacturers. Um, Mazda aren't doing a great deal at the moment. Again, they're talking about alliances. So there's nobody who's not talking about them. It's just a matter of how advanced they are. They obviously have a lot of money invested in the ICE, internal combustion engine technology, um, so they don't want to move too fast because roughly in that process... Um, they'll end up with um, maybe a third of their workforce being put out of work. So they do need to be, work carefully with the unions and things to slowly change over. That's one of their reasons. But the other side of the coin is people want electric cars. So as you can see in the sales figures, ICE cars, internal combustion engine car numbers are falling in sales, whereas electric car numbers are rising astronomically in terms of sales. And now it seems to be that the quota quotas that electric cars have for different countries is a real issue. So that, that um, say, for instance, the Kona, and I, I believe you're going to pick up your latest Kona, your new Kona, Bryce, today, but they've got quotas and for each country, don't they? And so they've got very long waiting lists. Oh, it's amazing. The, the, I'm looking forward to picking up my Kona this, this morning, or not this morning, this afternoon. It's very exciting. 
You and Nat, that's all you talk well, about. Well, <laughs> well, lucky it's not this morning, you probably wouldn't be here. Wouldn't yes, you? I wouldn't be here if I was here. I probably would have organised the time to be here as well. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, but, I've had mine for two months, listeners, and I'm having a ball with the Kona and saving money and saving emissions. You most should see Nat's EV smile. Mm. <laughs> she has so the broad. EV grin. Oh, the EV grin is very hard to remove once you've got it, unless someone takes your EV away from you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That would be sad. Now, sadly, the Kona is is so oversubscribed in Australia. I think up till the end of May, they sold roughly 140 of them as they were ramping up the numbers. And then um, they had at the same time, or at the end of that month, about nearly 170 orders for them they had yet to fill and are only bringing roughly 40 a month in. So it's going to take a while for them to fill that, let alone all the coming orders. As, like Nat and I start driving around and showing them off and people go... Mm-hmm. I want one. I think mm-hmm. the number is that for one EV buyer, they trigger another four or five sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've certainly right. had a number of people saying, oh, that's interesting. I'm really going to look into that for my next car mm-hmm. once people are aware they're around. Um, so can you give us a bit, that, a bit of a wrap about what is currently available in the Australian market and what sort of price ranges? Uh, in Australia, we have, I think it's about eight or nine EVs available. Um, there's also the Nissan. That's fully electric? Fully electric. I'm talking about fully electric here. I tend to stick to that sort of number. They're finding overseas the plug-in hybrids and hybrid, uh, they're tending to be slightly cannibalised by the full electric sales now um, as the battery ranges get longer. So it's actually a matter of the plug-in hybrid I've always suggested would be a interim technology because batteries are very hard to build in scale so that it's easier to put a smaller battery in a plug-in hybrid and do that crossover technology. Um, but as the battery, the bigger batteries are becoming easier to build, cheaper, um, the full battery will eventually take over because it's a much simpler technology. You don't have two drivetrains, two sets of servicing requirements. Your full battery is just quite simple to, to build, build and maintain. Kay and I were at a lighter footprints gig the other night and one of the women there said she was too embarrassed to park next to Kay's i3 because she'd just bought a hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so we've got, we've talked, mentioned about the Hyundai offerings. Ah, yes, the, the, back to your question about yes. what's available. So sticking to the BEVs, the battery electric vehicles, you've got the BMW i3, which there's now a 42-kilowatt-hour ba- battery version. There's a... Um, so what sort of range does that give You're getting sort of up into the high 200s, around 300, somewhere around there. You've got the current Renault Zoe, which is around 300. That's a 42-kilowatt-hour battery. You have... That's uh, the new one. No, like that's it. the current one. Oh, is it? The new one will be about 53. Oh, okay. That'll give you in around 350 or higher, somewhere around there that hasn't been fully... Oh, homologated for its range yet, but it's going to be in the high, mid to high 300s for a range. Mm. Um, and again, with the Kona and things like that, it's hitting that sweet spot now. It's where people want around 400 plus K range. They want um, you know, a good charging capacity with DC for the long runs. I mean, for me, the Kona is the perfect car in terms of I can replace all my fossil miles now. I have a fossil car that I've kept purely because I go down to Rosebud once a week and my neither of my electric cars will go the distance and come back in the same day because there's no fast chargers down there. Mm. Whereas I have to take the fossil car, whereas the Kona will do that trip two and a half times. You have to even worry about charging. Mm. <laughs> so that'll displace that for you. And what sort of price ranges are people looking at for these cars? Uh, for the Ionic, the full battery Ionic, which is around uh, just over 200k range. It's un- just under 50k on the road. Uh, the Kona starts at around 65 to 73.4. 
the Model 3 starts at about 70, that's the Tesla Model 3, starts at about 72 up to about 118. And they'll be arriving in the next few months? Yes. Well, the Model 3 configurator has opened in Australia as of a few weeks ago, and uh, they're slated for arrival starting August. And it's 70,000 for the Model 3. Yeah, bottom... 40-something thousand. But 35,000 US yeah. is the base model, which would put it at about add roughly half yeah, again. Okay. So you're looking at about 50-ish. Yeah. But they're not offering the very base model in Australia. They're oh. offering the standard range plus, which has a slightly longer range, slightly premium interior. They're only offering at the moment effectively two versions in Australia. Right. So what they've generally done is slim the range of offerings down to begin with and then they meet the people who would stretch to something above the base model and stretch from the higher end to the very top. It's rather clever marketing ploy. One can argue the toss of whether it's a bit cynical. Well, a lot of people were expecting a much lower figure yes, initially. Yes, but it was that 35000 US was always going to be something around 60000 Australian. No, I suppose, yeah. Although they were saying that it would be less than that. What about the Nissan Leaf? Uh, the Nissan Leaf, the uh, we'll be getting, as far as I understand, only the 40, uh, 43 kilowatt hour version, mm. battery version. They're not doing the Nissan Leaf E Plus, which is the 60 something kilowatt, 63 kilowatt hour battery, which is what's been released. Again, that constraint on the battery offerings means in Europe they've allowed for 5,000 only between June and the end of this year for those, and they had pre orders for those. Within a few weeks, I think within one week, it was 3,000 of them were pre-ordered, and this is when they were announced mm. in January. Mm. And what's and the price of them? Uh, that will be probably just under the, the Model 3, at a guess. You're looking at oh. the current 41 kilowatt hour one will be about, basically the one they're releasing here now, will be about 55,000 on the road. So 40 to 43 kilowatt, that's double the original i3. Um, the i3's been upgraded twice since then. Mm. So are you talking sort of the 280 kilometre range? For the new Leaf, yes. Yep. Okay. So the prices <coughs> are still really quite high compared with new ICE vehicles, yes. but they're coming down. They're and, coming down And markedly. the running costs offset that to some degree. Oh, the, the yeah, running costs huge are degree. huge degree, um, yes, because if you're charging on electricity and the power is in your hand as to how much you pay for your energy consumption for the vehicle rather than the signboard on the petrol station as you drive up and they change it on you, um, you can decide to charge it overnight as an, as an off-peak rate, which means you might be paying between 11 and 17 cents a kilowatt hour, so you'll be paying 20 to 30% of a fuel cost range in that case, or if you're charging it during the day at a peak rate, you're still paying half to two-thirds at worst of a petrol rate and you're paying the absolute worst electricity rates and then you're saving on your um, servicing costs the Kona for instance as you know is $165 fixed price once a year and apparently you don't go through tyres at the same rate either so you save on tyre replacements I'm not quite so sure about that one because it's still doing the same Work but on the road. I think it's a little bit different with the regenerative braking. So you actually slow down, and well, you may speed up faster because it is such a fast car. Mm. <laughs> but I was, I was thinking that back in my brain. Is not nearly as severe. <laughs> yes, I've heard people actually saying that the car retrains the way they drive, uh, so they drive more carefully. So if you drove normally as you would a petrol car, the tyres would do much the same thing, but your brakes last a lot longer because most of the energy that you used to make all that noise and wear out the brake pads and discs is now put back into the battery, the battery instead. 
Certainly from my back-of-the-envelope calculations for the two months we've had our car, the fossil fuel vehicle that it was that it's replacing, on those costs, we're saving about $80 a week. We do about 100 mm. kilometres a day because we live a bit out of town. So that's over $4,000 for the year that we'll, we'll be saving. So it's certainly making an impact straight away. Mm. Yeah, I've done some back-of-the-envelope type calculations using average figures, and it's roughly a third. For the average person, it is the average cost of running an electric car versus a petrol car is about a third in energy. In energy oh, not cost. A saving of the third. Saving, the cost yeah. is no, a third. you're saving. The cost is the third. You're saving two thirds. Wow. If you you've just tuned in, we're talking to Bryce Gayton from the AEVA, Electric Australian Electric Vehicle Association. Bryce, have you heard of the Dutch car manufacturer called Lightyear? It's unveiled the first prototype of a long-range solar production car, and it's due in next year, 2020. Um, I think it's it's they're saying that it's going to do about 800 kilometres of range, and it's got five square metres of solar panels on the roof and bonnet and and boot, and then they that that tops up the um, battery requirements. Have you heard much about that? I've heard a little bit about it, although those sort of figures you tend to be very dubious about. I apply a very um, a critical eye to those sort of numbers because in theory we're the third rock from the sun, at the best at the equator. With the sun directly overhead at midday, you get a thousand watts per square meter falling on any particular surface area, and you will get roughly twenty percent of that into use via solar panels because that's the sort of efficiency of solar panels at the moment, and that's if they're oriented perfectly towards the sun. So when you start sort of crunching the numbers, um, they're very aspirational numbers they're coming up with, and it's it's good that they're actually designing cars and trying to think ahead. Um, but there are some limits of the physics that yep. prevent those sort of numbers being yep. true. So, um, yes, I've done calculations based on you know, covering a car in solar panels and having it parked normally in the sun. And the best you can do in summer in Melbourne is something like about 10, 12 kilometres. In winter, three or four kilometres. That's how much charging you would get out of it at current car efficiencies. If they're improving the efficient, if they doubled the efficiency, then you're getting maybe 20 k's out of it and then seven or eight during winter but you're not going to be able to drive on solar you'd still need to charge it up yep. so this may, might still be a bit futuristic but something to aim towards hmm. it, it's it points to the improvements that will be coming in terms of efficiency and getting something back from solar but the numbers that they've given are limited i think by reality just so, before we get on to um the safety aspects of evs uh fleet cars uh, are there many fleet vehicles around is the government interested in fleet electric fleet cars uh it depends on which government local the act government is probably the best case example they've actually set targets for i'm trying to remember i think it was 50 percent by about 2020 of electric vehicles where they were appropriate and 100 percent by i think 2022 so don't quote me on the exactly on those numbers and they're well on track for breaching that and one of the big things about fleet sales is they're roughly 45 percent of all new car sales are fleet sales really? 45%? Yeah, in australia which means if you target the fleet market and get all those cars into the fleets, then it permeates two to four years later, although with electric cars it is a, a better no, payback period to keep them longer. Yeah. Um, so they're talking six okay. to eight years. Um, the, the people I've heard talking about this, that the fleet cars should be, electric cars should be kept for six to eight years at best to get the best payback on them, and you're getting really good paybacks on them at that stage. But um, 
if knowing government fleets, they all keep applying the same old rubrics, so they'll start selling them at two to four years to start with, fingers crossed. And um, that's a really good way of pushing them into market because a lot of people buy their cars ex-fleet, not brand new. So, and it gets some second-hand options mm, so going. So a couple of years' time, the ACT government's government cars will come into market. That's how I got my first EV, which is a converted Hyundai Gets. was an ex-ACT government car. There you go. So you know, when I've been chatting to people about EVs, some questions have come up about safety. So with ICE vehicles, they obviously have some safety issues, but they're ones that we're pretty familiar with, issues around safety of refuelling and fire or explosion risks mm. in accidents. But for EVs, there's the big question of the unknown, that people are thinking, mm. oh, what about electrical safety? What, you know, what do we need to be careful of with charging or what happens in the case of an accident? So I'd love to sp- just spend 10 minutes chatting with you about some of those mm. safety aspects. So let's start with charging. What are the things that people need to be careful of or wary of with charging to make sure that charging is safe? Uh, number one, don't use a Bunnings board extension lead to plug your electric vehicle charger from the boot into it. So the one that comes with the car, don't just plug it into a um, PowerPoint using an extension lead because those leads are not made for continuous heavy current draw. They might say 10 amp, but they're good for a variable 10 amp for maybe 5 or 10 or 15 minutes, not 8 hours. Um, they do heat up. Don't coil the, If you do use an extension lead, make sure it's a very good one. I have made myself... Um, proper cross-sectional area with really heavy-duty industrial plugs if for an extension lead if I need it. Okay, so high-quality extension lead and power board is yep. really critical. And I used um, weather-sealable screw-together connections, not um, the normal connections. The other one is don't leave it if it's going to be raining. Don't leave any sort of connect, any electrical connection that where it could get wet. So all these things are made to be um, weatherproof or weather rated um, obviously putting anything underwater will will challenge that sort of rating but within reason um, even if it's raining or whatever a proper electrical connection will be fine and what about fast charging are there safety things to be considered around matching the capacity of the charger to how how fast the car can be charged or no it's the, the chargers and the cars are very smart that way the charger has a set limit and it'll tell the car what it can deliver. The car will say, I can take this much and no more. So they have a little chat, and then they just simply charge away. So it, it's all of that technology is built into the system, and it does it of its own accord. Okay, so if I if I plugged in a charger that had a higher capacity than my car, then it would just self-regulate. Yes. So a Nissan Leaf that draws 50 kilowatts, and you plug it into a 150-kilowatt charger, it'll only draw 50. Very clever. So, Bryce, what about accidents? Like, I know with petrol cars, if there's an accident, you worry about fire or explosion or things like that. In an electric car, you've got, you know, what, three or 400 volts that you've got to deal with. How is that managed? Are people being trained to manage yes. those sort of accidents? Um, there's, there's a whole lot of answers. That One is the cars are built to be intrinsically safe. So if you have an accident, they have like a petrol car, a crash switch, crash sensor that will disconnect the electricity and keep it just inside the battery. So it drops it all. Even the conversions that, that I used to build, we would have it set up to the crash switch would break the battery up into, or by disconnecting relays, into just five 60-volt sections. And mass market cars do similar sorts of things. And the electricity is isolated to entirely within the battery, within the, that section of the car. So they all have to have those crash switches? Yes. Oh, didn't know that. Mm, all cars have a, a, a crash sensor. So it's the same case, with um, airbags. They, they sense and deploy. 
So in, does that mean that there's not, it's not likely that there'd be an electric shock potential? Yeah, very, very unlikely to have an electric shock from that regard because all the electricity is isolated from the rest of the car. B, if the car's badly damaged, there would be perhaps exposed batteries and the first responders are trained and they have a sheet provided by the manufacturers that is a standard layout for them to deal with any car, not just a the petrol car, electric cars, hybrids, they all have a double-page sheet that they can refer to to say, you can cut the car here, you mustn't cut the car there. I also have read that if there is a battery fire, you just immerse it in water, gallons and gallons of water, which seemed really counterintuitive to me. Uh, yes, because usually with an electric fire with a battery, it's the heat within the battery has failed or causing the failure of the insulation within the battery. So it, it generates heat, it generates oxygen, it generates flammable things. So if you take away the oxygen, for instance, um, it's the usual thing with the fire, you take away one of those ingredients, you take away the fire. So if you drown it in water, um, it's fine. The other thing is they're an isolated electrical system, so the electricity doesn't naturally run away to ground. It has to have a f- complete circuit path. Mm. So with an electric car, the circuit is contained in the car, so the electricity is not going to run away through the water. Bruce, we recently hit the um, comment about the quietness of electric vehicles. In fact, just the other night, this old codger was um, saying, no, they're too dangerous, they're too quiet. What's, is that a real issue? Not really. All, all the electric cars now are built with a sound, as, as Natalie will have noticed her little, mm-hmm. quiet little whine. Up to about 35 kilometres an hour, they all have that whine. And after that, tyre noise and wind noise is more than enough to hear it. I also include, Bryce, hydrogen fuel cells in the electric vehicle category as they're actually an EV with a fuel cell producing electricity and the tank of H2 is is the equivalent of the battery. What do you see as the future role of this type of EV and specifically on the safety aspect within the news uh, in the last week, I think a a hydrogen refuelling tank exploding in Norway um, and so people have already said to me, oh, so does that take hydrogen off the map? Uh, Um, Well, it's interesting because the Hindenburg was basically put people off hydrogen uh, flight for some years. Um, so always, whenever you mention the hydrogen, you remember the Hindenburg. Um, yeah. But um, that's, with hydrogen, it's an interesting argument with that because if you're producing the hydrogen with electricity, um, it takes roughly three to four times the amount of energy to create hydrogen to move 10 kilometres as it does to just be plugged into a battery. But you can store it in bulk more easily. You can fill it faster. Yes, but there's also not a lot of hydrogen refuelling stations yeah. Um, yeah. yet, whereas there's um, EV-rich refuelling stations, dozens in every house, effectively, because you can plug into a PowerPoint, let alone the many thousands that are going in. Part of that is also to do with... Um, hydrogen certainly has a, a, a niche area for itself. I, I've... This is purely speculative. I have a joke when I do presentations on the future of technologies that um, I say in about 2080, 2090, a film will come out called Who Killed the Hydrogen Car? That will be its time (laughs) when they've got the technology up to that stage. But they'll be bubbling along in the background just like electric cars did all through the 20th century. So you don't see as big a role for it? I see it for long-distance travel, for off-grid machinery like... um, Forestry machinery, that type of thing. Mining, st- mining Some works. mining stuff, although they have good generation capacity because they're fixed in one spot. Mm. Wood machinery or you know, um, harvesting moves around all the time, mm. so they don't have the capacity to have a, a fixed generator. So the hydrogen tanker coming in and refueling the system would be good. Thanks. Well, that's all we've got time for today, but will you come back sometime later in the year and talk EVs with us again, Bryce? I would be delighted to. It's it, very hard to stop me talking about them. <laughs> that would be Especially fantastic. Especially now you're getting one yourself. <laughs> yes. Well, this would be my fourth. A fourth. Yeah, you're brand Are you new keeping one. them all? 
uh, I've been getting rid of several of them. <laughs> so we've been speaking to Bryce Gatton from the Australian Electric Vehicle Association. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.